of worship. And God, we pray now that you would bless the preparation and the proclamation of this word. May you be glorified. May your people be edified. And may the devil be terrified as your word goes forth. Your people embrace it and live it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Again, from Matthew chapter 5, just a few verses this time, we find these words recorded, beginning with verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to preach today with the help of the Holy Spirit and your prayers from this subject. How's your attitude? Subject in form of a question. How's your attitude? How is my attitude? In in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. He overcomes those temptations. He comes out of that experience. And then in verse 18 of chapter 4, he calls four fishermen to be his disciples. And then from verses 23 to 25, Jesus heals a great multitude. He's teaching. He's preaching. He's healing all kinds of diseases among people. Great multitudes of people are beginning to to follow him from Galilee and from Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. And on the heels of this great and exciting ministry, Jesus begins to teach on attitude. Isn't that amazing? That that right up front in his ministry, he's he he's doing all of these fantastic things, but he begins to teach his disciples on attitude. And as we make our way uh, through what's been called the Beatitudes, we'll find that Jesus's teaching on attitude was completely different from what. The disciples had been hearing. It was different than the attitude of the Romans. It was even different than the attitudes of the religious leaders of his day. And so in Matthew 5, 11, Jesus delivers what has been called uh, known as the, the Beatitudes. And through this teaching, Jesus described for his disciples what their attitude should be. That's what he's doing. He's teaching them what their attitude should be. In other words, he's saying, I know what you've been taught. I know what the Romans do. I know what what your religious leaders do. But this is what I say. And I'm sure many of them, like many of us, as we have come this far in our faith, needed attitude adjustments along the way. You will notice in verses 3 to 11 that Jesus uses the word blessed nine times. Blessed, he said. The word blessed in the text means to have overwhelming joy and lasting satisfaction 
as a direct result of God's favor in your life. So Jesus says, now, if you make these attitude adjustments, you will be blessed with the joy of the Lord, overwhelming joy, and you will have lasting satisfaction as a direct result of God's favor in your life because you have decided to make these attitude adjustments. And have you not known no one else can adjust our attitude but us? Nobody can adjust our attitude but us. So it is Jesus lays out this reality for his followers. The reality is God's overwhelming joy and God's lasting satisfaction is not found in prominence. It's not found in positions. It's not found in power. It's not found in personal achievements. It's not found in material Possessions is not found in high-mindedness and egotism, etc., etc., etc. But rather the overwhelming joy of the Lord and the lasting satisfaction of God happens because of having right attitudes. There are people who have plenty, but they're miserable because their attitude. It's not what it needs to be. Notice in verse 3, Jesus begins, blessed are the poor in spirit. And right off the bat, that's a bad word to the Romans and even to the scribes and the Pharisees. Because who wants to be poor in anything? The idea is you're rich in everything. You see the contradiction? You see the difference? The contrast between Jesus and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the way of, of thinking in that day, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What are some distinctives of those who are poor in spirit? Well, those who are poor in spirit are those who recognize their natural unworthiness to stand in God's presence and who utterly depend on God's mercy and grace. The poor in spirit recognize that, 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 that we are unworthy to stand in God's presence in and of our own and, and, and we, we utterly depend on him for his grace and his mercy in our lives every day. Is there one person here who can say honestly that you do not depend on God's grace and God's mercy? Well, the poor in spirit do not trust in their own goodness or possessions for God's acceptance. The poor in spirit understand that flesh has nothing of value to bring to the table. It matters not uh, the motions we go through. It matters not our accomplishments. Flesh has absolutely nothing of value to bring to the table. The poor in spirit understand that all flesh is destitute. And all flesh is bankrupt without Jesus. 
the poor in spirit acknowledges his or her lack of personal righteousness and realize that we have nothing in and of ourselves that even comes remotely close to impressing God. Nothing about us comes remotely close to impressing God. Not our gifts, not our talents, not what we do. None of it comes remotely close to impressing God. Oh, we impress each other with ourselves, with our isness. People are impressed by our abilities and our talents, but none of that in the flesh, none of that comes close to impressing God. The poor in spirit recognize uh, their neediness of God's holiness. Uh, the poor in spirit are always inclined to proclaim the sentiments of that old hymn of the church, which unashamedly declares to the attentive ears of God, I need thee. Oh, I need thee every hour. I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. I come to thee broken. I, I come to thee needy. I, I come to thee even on my best day, dressed in my best God. I come to thee in need of a touch from the master's hand, a touch of holiness. And when the poor in spirit acknowledge as well as accept their neediness, numerous blessings occur. I just want to talk about three of those blessings this morning. First, the poor in spirit receive the blessings of God's forgiveness and his promise that he will remember our sins no more. The haughty won't get there. The high-minded won't get there. The spiritual elitists won't get there because they believe that they're already all right with God, they, they won't get there, but the poor in spirit will receive the blessings of God's forgiveness because we know we need it on our best days. Those who are prideful, those who are arrogant, those who are egotistic, Artistical uh, and mothers and father uh, superiors have no need for God's forgiveness because in their minds they already cross every I and dot every T and they tell everybody else how it ought to be done because they have perfected it so they need not God's forgiveness. But though of us who are willing to deal honestly with our spiritual imperfections. 
with our blemishes, our blotches, our freckles, our pimples, all of those things that may not even be obvious to other people, but we know. We deal honestly with those spiritual imperfections. Forgiveness is available from God who is loving and gracious and merciful. Hebrews 10, 16 and 17 states the matter like this. God says, I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law into their hearts and their minds. I will write them. Then God adds, here's the good news, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. 1 John 1, 9 and 10 says, if we confess our sins, and by the way, who are those who confess their sins? Do the, do the elitists confess their sins? No, because they're right in their own minds. But the poor in spirit, if we confess our sins, if we tell God that we have messed up and we are sorry, the Bible says he is just faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness first the poor in spirit receive the blessings of God forgiveness because we know that we need it second the poor in spirit receive freedom from the bondage of religious legalism religious legalism refers to rules and regulations and guidelines and traditions and procedures and practices which are self-imposed or imposed on us by others in order to make us holy. Have you ever had legalism impressed upon you in order to make you holy? Well, if you go to this assembly, you'll be holy. And if you wear this type of clothing, you'll be holy. And if you cover your head, you'll be holy. And if you don't go to the movies, you'll be holy. And if you don't watch television, you'll be holy. When I was growing up, there in South Carolina, there was a group of religious elitists and legalists who believed that if you didn't attend their particular group and practice the Christian faith as they thought it should be practiced according to their interpretation of the Bible and according to their understanding of the Bible, which was perfect in their own minds, if you didn't practice, you were out of fellowship with God. In their minds, they were the self-appointed, self-proclaimed, self-righteous standard of Christian behavior. Not Jesus, but look at how we do it. In their minds, they set the standard. This group was the modern-day prototype of the Pharisee in a parable Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 19, verses 9 through 14, which says that Jesus said the two men went up to the temple to pray. 
one of those men was a Pharisee, and you know, the, the Pharisees, they were uh, in charge of religion and experts in the laws and critical of everybody else. Well, he went up to pray, and the other man was a tax collector. You know, sinners, publicans, uh, not Republicans, publicans. I want to make that distinction. Publicans. Uh, he, uh, publicans uh, that did not were not measuring up to God's standard of holiness. So you have these two men going to pray. The Pharisee, according to Jesus, proudly stood and prayed this prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners. That means taking money from people by bribery. I'm not an adulterer or even, I'm not even like this tax collector. That is, here's the 21st century translation. I would have you know, God, that I am not a criminal who takes money from people by bribing them. I am not unfair in my dealings. I want to remind you, God, that I do not commit adultery. Nor am I to be placed in the same category. In fact, this is a picanism. I would prefer that my name not even be mentioned in the same sentence as this pagan, sinful, decrepit, worthless tax collector. Verse 12, the tax collector continues with his litany of self-righteous legalisms saying, I fast, get this, twice a week and I give tithe of all I possess. I, I fast and I'm a tither. I don't want you to forget that, God. I fast and I'm a tither as though God needs his money. Footnote, you know, God really doesn't need our money. Tithing is about being obedient uh, to God. And, and tithing is about understanding proper stewardship that we don't own anything. We are merely stewards of all that God's owns the clothes that we wear belong to God. The house that you live in belongs to God. The, point, the car you drive, technically it belongs to God. Your bank account, your retirement, all of that stuff belongs to God. So he stands up and he tells God these things. And then as though to say, how's that Jesus for following the rules. Verse 13, it's the tax collector's time. The Bible says, and the tax collector, who, by the way, is poor in spirit and has no merit of his own upon which to place himself, no pedestal to stand, just stood at a distance, and would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven he beat his breast and he said, poor in spirit speaking, 
God be merciful to me, a sinner, poor in spirit. To which Jesus replied, I tell you, this man went down to his house, justified, that means accepted, that means made right in the eyes of God, rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Those of us who are poor in spirit, and free from the bonds of legalism because we know that Jesus is the only standard of righteousness accepted by God. And through his cleansing blood alone, we are justified. I'm talking about the poor in spirit now. We are justified. We are verified. We are bona fide. We are made right with God. Those of us who are poor in spirit are free from the bonds of legalism because we understand that it's not about the works that we do. It's about the grace of God that makes us right in the eyesight of God. It's not about how much I come to church. It's not about all of the things that I do. It's God's amazing grace who imputes his holiness to us that makes us right with God. It's his cleansing blood alone that justifies, verifies, bonifies, and makes us right with God. The poor in spirit run to and cling to the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, lest anyone can say, I'm good enough to be in the presence of God. I've earned my way into the presence of God. No, no, Paul says it's not about works. The poor in spirit. Those who know they need Jesus and the holiness and the righteousness imputed to us, given to us by a relationship with Jesus, those who are poor in spirit claim no personal bragging rights. When it comes to being saved or being a child of God or even being permitted into the family of God. Thought about Fibbersheff from last week's sermon. And David invited him to come and, and dine at his table. But Fibbersheff said, I'm, I'm crippled in both feet. No bragging rights, no boasting. I bring nothing to the table. It was strictly the grace of David. The love of David, the commitment of David to keep a covenant he made with Jonathan. The poor in spirit claim no personal bragging rights when it comes to being in the family of God. In fact, we understand that it's a privilege. 
It's a privilege to be at Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church. It's a privilege for me to be the pastor of, of this church. This is not a right. God doesn't owe me anything. It's a privilege for the associate pastors to preach here. It's a privilege for you to be able to drive to Gordonville and, and, and come to this church. It's a privilege. We, we don't deserve it. Poor in spirit claim no personal bragging rights when it comes to uh, being in the family of God. We understand that it is a great privilege we have. And can I tell you something else? Don't take it for granted. Don't, don't take it for granted. Don't decide, well, I, I'll come today, but, 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 uh, but next week I won't come. I, I'll stay home and I'll watch football and I'll watch basketball or I'll go to the driving range or I'll go to the golf course or I'll just sleep in or I'll cook out or I'll go to a picnic or I'll go to a baseball game. It's a privilege to come. I heard Sister Argo say this morning that many people are unable to come even this day. It's a privilege. The poor in spirit claim no personal bragging rights when it comes to being a child of God. But they will brag on. They will lift up. And they will exalt the name of Jesus who graciously died on Calvary's cross to pay the sin debt for all failed humanity. We will brag on that. Back when I was growing up, there was a song. I don't remember the lyrics, but all I remember is that the songster would say, now run, tell that. You want to tell something, run, tell that. Don't tell how great you are. Run and tell how great he is. Run and tell somebody, I'm thankful. I'm grateful to be in the number one more time. I counted a joy and a privilege to get up and come to his house for worship. Jesus blessed me to be here, and he did not have to do it. But he did. The poor in spirit claim no personal bragging rights when it comes to being in the family of God and enjoying the blessings and the, the, the benefits of being a Christian. But we will brag on, lift up and exalt Jesus who graciously died on Calvary's cross to pay our sin debt when we fail miserably. He was there. He's always there. So if there's anything to boast about, to brag about, to show off or to talk big about, it is the reality expressed so wonderfully by hymn writer Elvina Hall who wrote, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. If I brag about anything, I brag about what Jesus has done for me. Third and finally this morning, the poor in spirit receive or inherit the kingdom of heaven. The text says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Notice Jesus said in verse 5, Bless all the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit, he's declaring the reign of Christ in their lives is right now. Not tomorrow, but right now. The moment the poor in spirit embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, I need thee every hour. The kingdom comes alive in their lives right now. Now, Jesus declares that the reign of Christ in the lives of the poor in spirit is right now. At the present moment, right now, those who completely trust in him, those who claim no self-sufficiency, no self-righteousness, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, have the power of Jesus right now. The presence of Jesus right now. The purpose of Jesus in your life right now. Your life has purpose right now. The protection of Jesus right now. The provisions of Jesus right now. The the peace of Jesus in spite of sickness, in spite of pain, in spite of disappointment. The peace of Jesus right now. The joy of Jesus right now. The justification of Jesus right now. And the jurisdiction of Jesus right now. That's what Jesus is saying. The poor in spirit, you got it right now. But that's not all. The poor in spirit has future connotations. The poor in spirit have the kingdom of God, which is to come. That's future. That is when this life is over. We have another home. John said it's a home not prepared by human hands, but a heavenly home prepared for us by Jesus. Jesus says then, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the bankrupt beggars. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here's a question. 